I think just about everybody who lives around here with one notable exception of someone who heard this homily yesterday knows that if you want a really good chicken dinner, you go to the chicken dinner capital of the world. Head over to Barberton. Now what a lot of people don't know is that the best chicken dinners are not necessarily in the restaurants. I think they're in the ethnic clubs. I don't think the chicken was quite as good as it was when I was growing up because now they're using better, more nutritious, uh, less bad for you oil. So no longer can the uh, two decade old uh, article from the Beacon Journal prove true that you know you've had a true Barberton chicken experience if after you've eaten them you have to wash your hands up to your elbows. One of my ordination receptions was at Sloving Center, and of course part of the meal was chicken. And while we were getting ready, my sister took one of the uh, cooks aside, and she said, she said, can you tell me your secrets? What are the secrets? What, how do you make this chicken? And they went through the basic recipe, and then she said, but never use bouillon. She says, use better than bouillon. It comes in a jar, it's hard to find, it's a paste. And he says, and secondly, I can't tell you what the second thing is because there's a lady who has a brown paper bag, or she did, she's since passed on, so this is kind of lost. And in this brown paper bag were spices and everybody would leave the kitchen at a certain part, uh, point of making the chicken and she would go in and she would sprinkle these spices on the chicken and that's what made it so good. Now, suppose just for a second that you could get your hand on this bag you don't know what's in it, you just know that there are spices in this bag that make your chicken really good. So you take, you take it home and you put it in that cupboard over the, kit, over the uh, stove where no one can reach, way in the back. And every once in a while when you are making chicken, you reach back there, you get that bag out, you sprinkle it on your chicken and put it back up there. And it goes, everyone goes, wow, this is the best chicken I've ever had. And they look forward to coming over to your house for it. And then one day... Make the chicken, you serve it, and everyone goes, oh, this is not quite what you always do. It tastes a little bland. And you start thinking, oh, did I forget to put the spices in? And then the next time you make it, it turns out the same way. So you get the bag out and you taste the spices and you go, wow, there's no flavor. All the flavor's gone. So what are you going to do with that bag of spice now? Well, you're going to throw it away. It's not doing any good. It's not going to flavor your chicken. It's not good for anything. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying about the salt today. What if salt lost its flavor? We go, that's silly. Salt doesn't lose its flavor. But what if it did happen? What would you do with it? Well, it's pretty useless. So the only thing to be done with it is to throw it out. So Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You add spice and flavor to life. You keep things from going bad. You have a purpose. You have a mission. You have a role. You do. I can prove that you have this role because you were baptized. And at your baptism, some sacred chrism was taken and a cross was traced on the top of your head just had been done to kings and prophets through all of history and it said you are now sharing in the baptismal office a priest, prophet, 
and king, priest, prophet, and king. These are not fancy titles with no responsibilities. They're not niceties. They call you to do something. And so what happens to kings who do nothing? They are deposed. What happens to prophets that say nothing? They are pushed aside. What happened to priests who feel to fail to pray? They are replaced. What happens to salt that loses its flavor? It's thrown out. Can't we see this happening around us? By and large, as kings and Catholics, we've grown lax in demanding that our government, our art, our TV programs, our newspapers, our workplaces, our schools, our homes are imbued with virtue and honesty and chastity, with forthrightness, compassion and mercy. And so many of our basic Christian principles are being deposed. Can you believe today the family has to be fought for? As prophets, we've been too silent. Now many Christian tenants are considered passé, old, marginal, hurtful, sometimes illegal. They were pushed aside and other things take their place and people believe them. As the priesthood of the baptized, some have failed to pray. And so their kids didn't pray. And then their kids didn't go to religion class. And then their kids didn't always make it to, class, uh, to mass. And then their kids don't come to mass at all. Sunday mornings have been replaced with sports or shoveling snow or sleeping in. One of my favorite preachers in our diocese, Father Damien Ferentz, wrote an article that just came out this month in the pastoral a homiletic and pastoral review, and it reads in part, the root of our current problem is a lack of discipleship. Of course, a disciple is one who encounters Jesus, repents, experiences conversion, and then follows Jesus. All too often, those of us in the church presume that all the folks in the pews on Sunday, all the children in our grade schools, high schools, and PSR programs, all the kids in our youth groups, all the men in our men's clubs, and all the women in our women's guilds, and all the members of our RCIA team are already disciples. Many are not. The same can be said of the staffs and faculty of our Catholic institutions. Our people may be very active in programs of our parishes, schools, and institutions, but unfortunately, such participation does not qualify for discipleship. In other words, I may mop a floor inside a Catholic church, but that does not make me Catholic, let alone a disciple. If the root of our problem is a lack of discipleship, then the remedy is to make more disciples just as Jesus commanded. But how was this accomplished? First, an important principle to keep in mind is that disciples beget disciples. It's caught, not taught. Disciples beget disciples. In other words, if we're really serious about fostering better marriages, holier priests, more devout religious, and in general, a more faithful and dedicated church than those of us who are already married, ordained, and consecrated, and who identify ourselves as Catholics, must take a good, hard look at our own lives, evaluate our discipleship, and see how we measure up. If we want there to be more disciples, we have to become 
disciples. If we want better Catholics, don't work on anybody else. First, be a better Catholic. Every day, strive to encounter Christ, to pray, to learn, to meditate, to get to confession. Make sure that we're all at Mass as we are today. And work at being open to Jesus and his message. Repent. Get rid of the junk. Get rid of the junk that we don't need. That's not good for us anyway. Convert every day. Conform yourself to Jesus Christ. Be just a little bit more like him every day. And follow him. Carry out your mission as priest, prophet, and king, as married person, as consecrated person, as single person, as priest, as Catholic. And with each step, we gain more flavor. We add more spice to life. We are the disciples who are the salt of the earth. And if someone else is open to being a disciple, they will catch it from you. Not a meeting, not a program, not an initiative, not a poster, not an article, not a self-help book, and not in school, but from another disciple of Christ, from one who is the salt of the earth, from one who walks the talk, from you, 